All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the podcast. Your number one podcast for cannabis enthusiasts. As usual, you're joined by your boy, Heavy Days, here from the Upside Down Library. And as always, we couldn't make the show happen without our fantastic sponsors. Huge shout out to Seeds here now, number one seed bank in the game. You know them, you love them, they've got all the hottest drops and they're going to sort you out. Satisfaction guaranteed. Check them out, Seeds here now. Likewise, a huge shout out to Coppet Biological Systems number one choice for any beneficial predators that you need to keep the garden happy and healthy. Check out the Acuparams or the Spidex Vital, two phenomenal products that are going to keep bugs at bay and your harvest popping and pest free. Coppet Biological Systems, check them out guys. Furthermore, big shout out to the one and only ProMix. You know ProMix, they've been around forever, making high quality mediums. You might even be using it right now, but did you know they make a killer mycorrhizal product? ProMix Connect, your number one mycorrhizal product with a guarantee on the viable spores inside, meaning you're getting amazing value for money because you know the product works. Go grab ProMix Connect, your number one choice. Last but not least, our buddies at Charlie's Cannabis. If you're after some high, high quality flour, hit them up. They've got amazing strains that they pheno hunt themselves using the work of some fantastic breeders. If you're after a high grade product in Oklahoma, check out Charlie's Cannabis. You will not be disappointed. Charlie's Cannabis, thank you so much for sponsoring the show. And last but not least, the Patreon gang. We could not do this without you. If you want to get access to content early, if you want to hear unheard interviews, extra segments, and so much more, please consider joining the Patreon. www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast gives you access to everything you're after and more. You are the lifeblood of the show. We appreciate you, Patreon supporters. Thank you. On this episode, we're joined by the mastermind soul of Soulfire Genetics, here to talk all things Bahama Mama, Black Bananas, Don Mega, breeding, science, trends, so much more. Let's get into it. Alrighty gang, we're back with another one. A big thank you and welcome to the maestro of Soulfire Genetics, the curator behind the fire you've undoubtedly been seeing in your feeds recently. A big thank you to Soul of Soulfire Genetics for joining us today. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. Not a lot, my friend. I've been looking forward to this chat, but the first question we ask guests when they come on the show, what have you been smoking on recently? Uh, you know, somebody uh, sent me some, some banana runs uh uh hash and i've been smoking that so lately i've been just smoking a lot of you know solventless hash i just love the taste of it so that's really my go-to um and yeah yeah the banana runs that these this uh couple made is really good so yeah it's kind of almost got like a sprite taste to it with like a banana hint to it it's pretty awesome so that's what i've been smoking on Nice. That sounds undeniably delicious. Did you find that the banana runs tended to produce a range of flavor profiles or they were more just sort of one parent or the other? Yeah. You know, the, the crazy thing is, and it's kind of like an inside joke, man, is that when you, when you cross runs to things, they almost always come out like runs dominant, especially in the, 
in the smell category of it. Like you'll get some runt structure and then you'll get the runt smell. And I, I see that like almost with all runch crosses. So it's like when I see all of these runch crosses, I'm just like, dude, you could have just got one pack of anybody's uh, runch cross and it would have been, you know, similar to the runs, but um, about 20% of those, at least in the banana runs, uh, lean towards that banana flavor. So you'll get like, I don't know, we've seen some that are just like all purple and frosty and then just smell like bananas. And that's the ones that I like. I mean, there's some green ones that do that as well. Um, and then there's some that just come out super like runcy, I would say on the runt side of things, but yeah, you're going to find that range from like that runts dominant kind of, fino all the way to this, like, I don't know, just like this crop, this just blending of both of them where you get this purple frosty banana flavored fino. That's the ones I love. Out of all. Yeah. Look, I mean, that sounds like the winner to me as well, right? It's beautiful. I guess I was sort of interested in asking you, we sort of don't see that many breeders working with the Banana OG, and I've always wondered why, because it's such a good cut. Do you have any theories on maybe why it's not as commonly used? Uh, you know, I I really don't know. So I've always been, like, even if you go back to my first line, where, when, you know, with the black banana, I've always loved that b- banana turp, like that um, banana candy flavor. So that, that's one of my favorite flavored candies is like the banana Laffy Taffy. So some people either like love this turp or they absolutely hate it. So, and, and that's in like the food world and in the pot world. So, but for me, I love it in both. So, you know, that candy fake banana flavor, it's just something I like. I don't know why more people don't work with it but you know we kind of go through these phases right like sometimes it's orange and it's tangy and everybody's just gravitating towards that or sometimes it's banana and you know people like like that at a time like i know when they had that uh it was like a california banana chiquita banana or something like that people were loving it at that point and then it you know strawberry so we go through phases yeah, ain't that the truth? It's all sort of circular, isn't it? And you just reminded me, I totally forgot about that Trikita banana thing. That You were right. It was huge for a minute. So that's some good insight. I guess the other thing you mentioned was that it was you're on like the solventless hash. Where do you fall on the concentrate flour sort of divide? Are you more a hash or more a flour sort of guy? Where do you sit? Uh, for me, I like, I like the hash. Like ever since I, I was really got uh, turned on onto it, I just... I don't know. I love it. I smoked a lot of hash when I was a kid that wasn't like the hash that we have nowadays. It was just like much different, but um, yeah, I really got into it. And then the whole Don Mega line that we did um, just before this Bahama line, my whole focus of that line was hash. Like I went out and bought a goddamn uh, freeze dryer and I turned a whole room into a hash room. And I was like, you know what? I don't care what anybody wants me to do. I don't care about runs. I don't give a shit about anything. I want to make a line that all washes. I don't care if they're pretty. I don't, I don't care. I want to show that you can breed functionally. You know, you can breed something to, to do something specific. And that's what we did. I, I hunted down plants that I knew washed. I put it with the Dawn, which we knew washed and um, then I just washed all the all the whole tests 
and smoked a bunch of it. And everybody that gets those, those seeds um, from that Dawn line, we're constantly hearing from them about how well they wash. So it was kind of a fun thing. So, yeah, I love hash. I love the process of it. Um, I'm by no means an expert. Uh, I'm, I'm a newbie at best at making hash. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm I'm right there with you. But it's it's cool to hear that like that's sort of how you intentionally did it. And I was sort of wondering that so you sort of answered the question, so thank you. But I guess the next question it makes me wonder is do you think eventually we'll get to a point where for a strain to be commercially viable, it has to wash well, even if it's for flour, or do you think there'll just always be a sort of divide? I don't know. You know, honestly, at least here in Seattle, I don't see a lot of guys that their whole company is based around washing strains. I mean, there's a couple of them. I know like no mids up here and like American hash makers and stuff like that. But I think it's, and I don't know, I, I'm not an expert on it, but I think that it's just really hard for them to make the money on it, you know, in the store. Right. Because they got to, the store has to put on tack on their money and then the state tax on their tax. And by the time they get done, that gram is so expensive that like casual smoker doesn't want to pay like 80 bucks for a gram of hash. They just don't want to do it. So I, I just don't know how commercially viable it is, which honestly to me kind of keeps it cool because it's like, it's more for the heady, the heady guys, you know, like the real, the, the real, the, the guys that are really into those terps um, and the, and smoking the very best, you might have to get it from your homeboy and not go, to the store <laughs> yeah i get you and that, and that sort of makes sense it's interesting i've been wondering about that sort of high and low end divide but i just want to jump back to a minute you know you were talking about the runs and something that i noticed about that was it seemed like you hit the market just at that perfect timing where you know like runs was really hitting its stride with consumers and then when you paired it with say you know all of the other feminized crosses you made it just made some phenomenal results my question is sort of, do you feel like you have to keep your finger on the pulse a bit with the canna community and trying to time these things perfectly so they go off? Or is it just a sort of a case of trying to be in the right place at the right time? Um, you definitely do. You definitely need to read the crowd, right? Like, I don't know, people aren't really into hazes right now. So if you just go try to breed like a whole line of hazes because you love haze, it might not go over as like you want it to. Um, but at the same time, you can't just breed because the names sound cool. Like there's a lot of breeders out there that are just like, oh, I got this cut uh, and it's this name and I'm going to throw it together with this, you know, these cool names and here's some seeds for you to buy. That's definitely not how we do things over here. Um, you know, you have like our, I, the way we do things is. I could bring that clone that cut in. If somebody's like, if a, if a homie's like, Oh, this is, you know, soul, you got to check this out. This is awesome. Okay. I hear you. Give it to me. Let me grow it. Let me see if I really feel like it's going to work in this lineup. It might be awesome and not work for this lineup. And I don't give a shit what the name of it is. I could care less if everybody's talking about it and it's awesome. If it's not going to work for this line, like if it wouldn't have worked for that, that wash lineup, even though it has an awesome name, it's out of here. You know, so you have to use some of your own judgment on what you're trying to accomplish in your project. And that should trump the names of of the uh, of the strings that you're trying to put together. But um, I think we did 
you know, we, we were one of the first people, I think, to, to do a wrench cross. And I think that banana wrench really, you know, caught people's attention. Um, and then I know my homeboy exotic right after I, right after he saw the runts, uh, the banana runts, he is like, he reversed it and, and did a whole lineup, you know, he reversed it and put it to all of his strains, um, for a whole runs lineup. And that thing went crazy. People loved it. And then after, after those two things, after you saw the banana runs and then Mike's big runs drop, just everybody was doing runs crosses. And now they're just, I think people are almost over it. Yeah. It certainly had a good run. The old runs, hasn't it? But I guess the follow-up question for me is given that you're one for one with your predictions on runs, what do you think is going to be the next big flavor to hit the scene? I mean, you tell me, man, I have absolutely, hopefully it's the Bahama mama. I don't know. I, I have absolutely no idea. Um, and I'm waiting on it. Like in our circles, we talk about that kind of stuff, right? Like what's going to be the next like big hit, like a GMO or like, like a runs or, you know, cause we want to catch that, that new one that's tight and get it in the stable and grow it and see if the hype is real. But, you know, I don't know. Gary Payton seems to be, floating around and and uh we've grown it i i think it's awesome um yeah it's just really hard to say which which way the it's gonna go yeah for sure it's a bit unpredictable like that isn't it to to loop back a bit uh we actually did some breeder awards for the year just gone by and as it turns out both james bean and myself who sort of do the awards each year we uh we both voted you as the sort of breakthrough breeder of the year, which I guess not so much about like your first year, obviously, but the year where we feel like from a commercial perspective, things are really sort of taking off. So I guess, first of all, congrats on that. But the question is sort of, did you expect things to really gain so much momentum over the past few years? And in the last year, have you felt like you've really sort of had an upswing in terms of popularity and people growing your work? Um. Well, first, I mean... Awesome. Thanks for, you know, recognizing, recognizing me. I really appreciate it. That's, that's huge. You know, like, uh, the opinions of peers is huge for me, uh, in the game, but, um, no, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really concentrate on, on that, on the, on the popular, it's really not about me very much. It's, uh, or, or, or anything like, it's just the company, you know, and, and, and what, what we can do. Like, um, I talk to, I try to answer every DM, <laughs> which I probably shouldn't say that because people are going to be DMing me all their questions. Like, but, uh, we try to answer every DM, every question. And I try to comment on anybody. Like if I see somebody that's growing soul fire, um, and, and I'm tagged in that, in that picture, I will, I will stop by, make a comment on there. And I just try to interact with absolutely everybody. And we've done that since, you know, 2015. So, um, and I think after you, it, once it, having that rapport with people that you actually give a shit, um, it's, it starts to, you know, resonate with them. Like, Oh, you know, soul fire actually cares, uh, what we're growing. And for me, I'm all about the guys that are in the trenches. You know what I mean? I'm making these strains for the guys that are in the trenches, not really the guys that are like in big commercial grows and warehouses and, and, you know, for the recreational market, it's cool when they grow my stuff. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I like that too, but I'm really here for the guy that's like 
growing pot in his garage or growing it in a tent and blowing out the block and stinking up the neighborhood. That's, you know, that's who I'm here for. I, I like to comment on their pictures. I like to see what they're doing. And so, yeah, I, I think that it's starting to build. I think they see that like, you know, we test our work. Um, we put a lot of thought into what we put together and, and that, that can show in the, in the end result. And nobody can guarantee you like, you're never going to have a herm or, or, Nobody can guarantee like you're going to have the best results ever. No, but if I can, if I can somehow make you, make it, make you a little bit more confident in what you see or in what you're going to get or, or lower that chance that you're going to have a herm or a problem. Um, that's what, it, that's what it's all about. Or if I can, you know, help you talk to you and help you, that's what it's all about. And I think that's, you know, that's a, a driving force. I think that's helping build our popularity, giving a shit. Yeah, for sure. I think that sort of customer service really goes a long way and a testament to the brand image you want to maintain. So while we're on the topic of customer service, let's say you got one of those sneaky DMs and it's someone who says, you know, pretty new to growing, I like your stuff. Which one strain would you recommend? And I guess the question sort of comes down to like without knowing too much about a person's interests, what strain do you feel you could really get behind and recommend to most people? Well, you know, when someone, I get that question all the time. So when they, when somebody asks me that question, I, I have to hit them with a barrage of questions. What kind of flavors do you like? How much room are we working with? I mean, if we're in a, you know, we're in a small space, maybe regs aren't what you want. Maybe femmes are what you want. What kind of flavor profiles are we looking for here? Are we looking for gas? Are we looking for fruit? You know, um, I, I, I'll have to ask them a bunch of different questions before I can kind of tailor something for them. Um, to grow and have success with because ultimately what i want to see is them have a su successful grow and um you know put their pictures up on instagram so i can be like damn you crushed it bro look at that it looks like some heat <laughs> so yeah it's it's a it's a hard question to answer like a lot of people ask me in this uh this bahama line well which is the best one which the, all these pictures look so so dope uh so far which is the best one well it's hard to say what's the best one because if you like gas, maybe this one's the one for you. But if you like fruit, maybe this one. Or if you're looking for weight, that one might be the one for you. So it's really, it's really different. You know, I love them all. That's why I chose them for this, this lineup. Yeah, and look, totally understandable, right? All of the new Bahama Mama lines are just looking so incredibly frosty. I, I easily put them in the hype train worthy category, and that I'm, I'm excited to see them and to see how they do makes me wonder what was it about the bahama mama itself that stood out to you and made you think let's do a line with this let's blow it up well when i saw it when i saw the guys at rugged roots growing it, and those guys are amazing growers over there in maine right so when i saw them growing it, i was like dude what that thing is black and it has crazy leaf to flower ratio right and as we were talking about earlier i'm not a huge fan of trimming like I got better shit to do. It's one of the least favorite things to do. So if we can get a leaf to fan ratio or a leaf to flower ratio, that's favorable. I'm all for that. So first I saw the structure, the color, the frost, they were nice enough to get it to me. And when I got it, I was like, okay, we're going to grow this thing out, you know, because got to stick to the plan. Anything that comes in, it doesn't matter how tight it looked when you were growing it. I'm going to have to grow it, assess it, smoke it, and then decide if it's worthy. Um, did that. And I was just like, oh my God, this is 
fucking amazing. Look at this thing. It's so frosty. It's, you know, it looks like he could literally, I'm not, I'm not even lying, dude. It looks like he could go up with a, like a, a little dab tool and just scrape that shit off and smoke <laughs> it. So, yeah. So I was just like, okay, uh, this is awesome. I just killed it. You know, I just crushed this, but let me give it to a, like a couple of homeboys and let's see them grow it. They grow it. Hit me up so far. This shit is crazy right here. Boom. So now we're kind of have a consensus like, all right, this thing's awesome. So I think that's um, how it got chose. You know, I mean, we looked through probably over a thousand different Bahama Mamas over from the time it was released. Cause we knew the first time we made Bahama Mama, we we're like, this thing is awesome. You know, this strain is cool. Like it, it dumps, you know, it's great for hash. It's, um, beautiful colors but in so many of them and it's not that it's a bad thing but because that trop cookies in there we're getting that tangy smell in a lot of them right so that's that's great but in what i wanted to use for this lineup i didn't want that tangy smell and the rugged cut did not have the tangy smell it had like a, a vanilla icing hawaiian punch hard candy kind of smell completely devoid of orange citrus so and that was another factor i was just like okay you know now we got something unique we got the color we got the structure we got the the leaf to flower uh ratio that's insane the weight was great i washed it because you know when i i, I was going through my my i want to wash everything hash face and it, you know even for a noob like me to wash it and it came back like 5.5 percent or whatever and that was me just taking the best of the best too. So not like full spec or whatever. So yeah, it was awesome. And yeah, that's, I think that's how the, the decision came down on that. Yeah. It makes sense why you picked it. I mean, if people haven't seen the photos, please get over to Soulfire's Instagram, check it out. It's a no brainer, but I sort of hear this sentiment at times that a lot of the cannabis community in terms of like the connoisseur cannabis community, they complain about, you know, being burnt out on that tangy terp in general. But then I also realized that there's this huge part of the market, especially the more sort of casual smokers who definitely don't share this opinion. And it makes me wonder, do you think it's better to cater to the greatest number of customers or do you feel like you have some obligation to sort of the hardcore heads? Um, well, for me, I mean, again, this was kind of like a personal thing. I love the tangy. Don't do not get it misconstrued. <laughs> You'll see a lot of our crosses have that that trop in it because I love that. I love smoking it. I love the extracts that it makes. I, I love it. Um, I just didn't want it for this because I feel like there's already that in the market. You know what I mean? Like you can go get that from trop if you want it. Right. Like yeah. it's out there. So I wanted to do something different and yeah, that's, and the only way I could do it is if it wasn't present and it took a long time to find something that is present, but do I feel like loyalty to um, any one group when I'm doing my breeding? No, I'm casual or hardcore heady guys. No, I'm just trying to make the very best that I possibly can make. And, and, you know, bring it to the market at a price point that anybody can afford to grow us, you know, back to that. Like, I love the guys in the tents. I love the home, the home grower that's breaking it off in their backyard in, in, in their garage or, or just out in the sun. Um, and 
yeah. So I, I just try to keep it keep it accessible for everybody, I guess. Yeah, I think there's huge value in that. And I you know, obviously being in Australia, I'm one of those people who's like not burnt out on Tropicana cookies at all. So I'm totally in the same boat as you. I love it. I think it's amazing. I guess it makes me wonder then how would you describe the uh, the Rugged Mountain Cut itself? Is it very trop-heavy leaning or does it bring some other sorts of flavors and terps to the table? So it the how I explain it is it grows similar kind of to trop, but I feel like it's heavier. Um, and it's just jet black and it comes on kind of late. So like when I was growing up, I was like, eh, I don't know, man. You know, like... I don't think this is going to be very heavy and I don't, I don't know if it's going to be very colorful. And then we're like pulling into like week five and boom, the color show starts. It starts going like, like sunset, orange, frosty madness. And then from there, it just goes to jet black. So it's, it's just really cool. Um, And then like, yeah, flavor wise, it's just, it's like this vanilla. It's like a vanilla icing, Hawaiian fruit terp, kind of like a fruity, pebbly terp. It's weird. And that's another thing. I didn't want the flavor of that to overpower everything in the in the lineup. Right. So like when I choose the the one that's the other side of it, right? The the other part of the cross, I want that to kind of shine because I choose some of those for their their flavors. And I want some of that to shine through. And sometimes if you choose something that's just too dominant, then now it's like the runs thing, right? Runs, beautiful, beautiful plant does excellent crosses, breeds very well, but makes everything taste like runs. I didn't want that. Yeah, sure. It does bring this topic to mind for me, which is that a lot of the casual consumers out there, as I'm sure you're aware, they're obsessed with like the idea of exotic, you know, everything's got to be exotic for them to want to have it. And to me, it raises this fundamental question. What is exotic? Like, what makes a strain exotic? And I'd be interested in your perspective on that. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't. I hate, I, it's irritating that whole exotic. But I, what I think it is, is one, it has to be an, it has to be an amazing strain, right? It has to almost be kind of known worldwide, but not able to be, obtained <laughs> so it has to have some sort of like really hard to get because once everybody gets it is it exotic no it's not now it's mundane so it has to be hard to obtain well known and it has to be absolutely amazing that's the three things it has to be to be exotic yeah that's a that's a good criteria you know i've, I've heard a lot of different answers and it's interesting that there's no consensus on it, you know. I think it was Compound who we had on not too long ago and he sort of said some many similar things to you except he also said, oh, I also think it's got to be purple to some extent, which I think was an interesting sort of tidbit and I guess your work sort of fills that criteria anyway. Um, yeah, but I mean, are, are we saying that we can't have an exotic strain that's like green? I mean, I guess we're just not in favor right now and I understand what he's saying that it needs to have some color to be exotic but um i've seen some of the banana runs phenos that are green and are absolutely exotic you know what i mean like when you pop that jar open you smell it and you look at how frosty it is whoa 
So I don't know if that if I agree completely that the color part of it. Yeah, no, I definitely get yeah. And then I, I can't remember who it was, but someone else threw out an interesting answer. I think it might have even been Masonic, but someone was like, "What about like Acapulco Gold?" You know, like that is that like that's sort of exotic just by virtue of how hard it is to get. But I digress. We we could go down a whole rabbit hole with that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but I mean, speaking of exotic, you notably have a have a pretty good friendship with Exotic Mike, as far as I know. How did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, we go all the way back to like community college. So um, we've been buddies since way before. I mean, I would say like brothers. So we we go all the way back um, before Exotic Genetics, the company, and and, and Soulfire, any of that. I mean, we go we go back to uh, community college. Uh, we met in the pre pre cal math class and. Uh, and we used to take trips down to Humboldt to uh, see my uncle, who's a farmer down there, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, back in uh, back in the day, we used to make that run back and forth, and we just been friends for a long time, man. He's a good dude. Yeah, what an organic sort of connection you guys had, and it you you got me interested now. What were sort of some of the old school strains you were smoking on back in the day when you were doing those trips? Well, um, back then we were doing it. We were like, <laughs> oh, at least that, like, we would go to school and then we would come back and we would watch like uh, uh, Subcool in his old, uh, in his YouTube uh, <laughs> channel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were really into like TGA Subcool back then. So we were like smoking the Flav and, um, and like a bunch of different, different stuff. I know I was growing up, um, uh, Subcool's crazy train. Uh, a lot of train wreck was floating around back then. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the first award that, that Mike won, like I had, a, was it, it was a grape God. I had the, it was grape God crossed with the Flav. And I want to say, so it was my grape God selection. And he took a Flav male crossed that and won his first high times here in Seattle. I think he got like second place or whatever. It was exciting. You know what I mean? It was like one of my selections, one of his selections. And it was the first time like he won some shit and that shit was so exciting. I think that really kicked off everything. Yeah. Wow. I mean, before we move on, I want to quickly ask you out of personal curiosity, because I, I too used to watch a ton of the weed nerd and, you know, big up sub cool. We miss you. Um, the question is, what's your favorite TGA strain? You know, I, I just when you mentioned the Flav, it it brought all these memories to mind because there's some TGA strains where you hear a lot about them, like Chernobyl and Space Queen, but other ones like the Flav have got like a bit of a cult following. So I'm curious to hear what was your favorite TGA strain? Uh, I think it was that like Mike had a really good cut of the flavor. Like we loved growing it. It grew like these eggs all over it. And then it just like these egg shaped nugs all over it. And it just had a crazy smell. Like I was talking to him like a month or two ago and I was like, bro, we need that. Where, who has that fucking cut? Like, where's that? Where's our flavor cut at? And I, we just don't got it anymore. But um, that I loved the crazy train just because of the colors that it put out, you know, like the smell wasn't, it was like kind of a more of an earthy smell, but the color show that that thing would put on um, and the frost for like, even back then was like ahead of its time. So yeah, I mean, those were my two favorites. Yeah. Solid picks, solid picks. And just to follow up on another thing relating to exotic Mike, 
I think it was James Bean who told me that uh, you had been sort of one of the influential people who had sort of helped get Mike on board with FEMS. Is that true? Yeah. So, I mean, he had uh, tried a few times. I mean, he had used different sprays that are on the market and he had done um, different things and they just weren't working. They were like burning up his plants and they, yeah, they just weren't working. So I just, you know, I got a background in science. I, I put my my head in it and I, you know, I kind of came up with my own little recipe and yeah, I, I made it. And then I, I reversed, uh, I made that banana runs and then he kind of helped me get the timing down because my timing wasn't very good. Like I was a little bit off and, you know, Mike Kennedy was like, man, you know, you got it like this, your reversals are amazing. And I was like, tight, you know, so I showed, you know, I helped him to do that. And then he's like, yeah, but we got to get this timing right. And that's something about Mike that, you know, he's a really focused in on what he's doing. So he was able to like focus in and really tune our timing down so that we could, we can nail it. So um, yeah, I, I definitely helped him uh, learn how to make FEMS and I pushed him in that direction um, to make FEMS. Cause I felt like the, you know, exotic genetics company was missing that portion of it. And I, I want to see all my homeboys um, succeed. There's nothing more I, I want to see than, than uh, everybody at the table. eat. Uh, if anybody knows me, I want to see all my, my people um, do well. So I was pushing him on that. I was like, look, man, you're just going to have to make some fence. And finally he was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And, um, and he really helped me get that timing correct. So I appreciate him for that. Yeah. Brilliant. And that's, that's a question we get regularly from listeners is like, what's the optimal time to pollinate your harvest? I remember back in the day, Subcool actually was, he would always say like, I think that you want the females to sort of get hit by the pollen around sort of end of week three, week four sort of thing. Where do you fall on that one? Yeah, I think that's a, that's, that's about right. Like week, yeah. End of week three. Like, so what are we talking about? Like day 28 ish. Yeah. Like uh, right around there, I think is the best. I mean, it needs to be like nice cotton balls everywhere. If you do that, if you do it too early, you're just going to cheat yourself. You're just not going to get um, as many seeds as you you could. So you got to watch it. Um, and I've learned my lesson on that. <laughs> uh, jumping the gun a little bit too early on that, but yeah. So you want to have really nice, nice cotton balls for it. So timing is key, especially timing with your, with your family creation. You need to have your timing, right? Yeah, definitely. I think I've, one of those people have been burnt before and you, you end up with like a hundred seats or something and you're like, what happened there? Yeah, that could happen. So, I mean, on the topic of feminized work, you know, obviously you do a mixture of both regular and feminized work and I'm sort of wondering, do you have any preference? And as a follow-up, do you think it's easier to make a good feminized cross than it is to make a good regular cross? Um, I don't know if that's quite true. I think from the selection standpoint, it is a little bit easier to make a good feminized cross because you're looking at that female plant. You already know what it's going to do. You know what I mean? Like, well, not what it's going to do, but you know what you're looking at. So you're looking at it. You're like, Oh man, it's got beautiful color. It's got frost. It's got all these different things. Um, That's a little bit harder to see in a male plant, right? Like you select differently with the male criteria. I mean, some guys select for like frosty male plants. Some guys have a bunch of different, ways they select male plants like stem rub all those different things do you really need that when you're when you're reversing a already known like banger 
probably not. So yeah, it might be easier. Um, but then again, I mean, you're going to need to grow out all those fems because uh, people, people seem to say that, that fems have this reputation for herming easier. I don't really see that. I think that's kind of bro science. Really? I, I've popped a bunch of guys, regular reg seeds that herm all over the place. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you, you just answered the next question for me. So thanks for that. And as a follow-up, sometimes you hear breeders say that they feel using a mother that comes from fem stock is like a bad practice if you're going to make seeds. Do you, do you also have a similar point of view where you, you think that's maybe not true? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's uh, true or not true. I mean, I guess that's part of the problem with um, where we're at in like, cannabis breeding because a lot of it is just anecdotal, right? It's like, oh, well, this happened to me this one time, so this must be the science. And me kind of coming from a, like a science background, um, I just don't go, unless it's proven, I just don't go for it, you know? So hard to say. I mean, there's guys that reverse fems all the time and use them in their, in their stuff. So uh, hard to say. Yeah, sure. And I guess just as a bit of a far out question, would you ever consider making like S2s or something like that if you found a killer, say, Bahama Mama S1? Um, I mean, I would, I would be open to try it. It would just have to, it'd have to make it through the rigorous testing, you know? Like, we'd have to see what, that, what the progeny would do. Would they come out all weird? I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess so, right? <laughs> I mean, you're stacking a lot of genes on top of each other, right? Yeah, it'd be interesting if you could somehow get some sort of like ABC or freak show sort of expression out of doing that. Dude, that freak show thing looks crazy. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you've you got me, you know, on this freak show train now, so I'm going to ask the question. I look at plants <laughs> like that and I'm sort of like, this is cool and I see the value in it, but I also don't see the commercial value in it. What's your thoughts on those weird sorts of strains? Um, For me, it's not. I mean, that particular one isn't something that I would breed with or I would grow. So I agree with you there. It's not, it's interesting. I'll give you that. It's, it, it's interesting. I'll just, that's, that's about that. But um, like uh, we bred with, with uh, the creature from, from bee leaf over there. He sent the cover. We grew that out. That's a weird plant. Um, it just like makes these fingers. It's super frosty. Uh so it was a little bit odd, an odd plant, but it wasn't like that. Where like, I don't even know what the freak show really is. Is that a mutant? I've never grown it. I haven't seen it grown personally, so I've only seen pictures. Yeah, I think it's like a, a weird hybrid of Big Sur Holyweed and Banana OG of all things. So yeah, pretty weird in genetics in it. Weird. I didn't even know that. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, take me back to the start. What was your first experience with cannabis? I mean, the the very start goes back to my my uncle from Humble, like just being a little kid and just walking into his uh, his grow room and being blinded. So, I mean, I guess I've had a, a relationship with it since I could walk. But um, I think in high school, like in the middle of high school, you know, just, well, shit, even before that, I guess I was... I would steal my my uh, 
my cousin's car when we were 13 and go to Yakima and buy um, Mexican brickweed ounces <laughs> and smoke with all the all the homies back in the early early 90s. So I guess there and then um, midway through high school, I was. I mean, I, I live in a I live in West Seattle, White Center area. It's kind of like the shitty neighborhood of of Seattle. And back then, when we were kids, I mean, we didn't have any money. We didn't have shit. So I was I was like a, a water a water boy for a. Uh, you know, grow house here. So, I mean, I got, I got a real intimate relationship with at least taking care of plants. I guess that was like 94, 94, 95, maybe. So, yeah. I mean, fuck man, we didn't have filters. We didn't have any of that, dude. It was just like the whole block would just reek. Just, it was crazy, but yeah. So um, that, and then, with breeding, like those guys that I was watering those plants for, they were like older guys, you know, like uh, I was watering those plants for, they were doing some breeding back then. Um, and then like near the end of high school, I would, we live really close to Canada. So back then um, we would drive up to Canada and you could go to these coffee shops where you could go in the coffee shop, you could roll up joints and they sold seeds there. Right. So we would go there and I would just buy all kinds of seeds, enjoy smoking weed inside in a coffee shop. Like I thought that was the coolest shit. Right. And uh, then I would smuggle all the seeds back and we would pop all these different seeds and go through the phenos and stuff. So I guess that's kind of where it started. Yeah. Wow. Is that sort of like the Mark Emery days of it all? Yeah, that was definitely the Mark Emery days. Yeah. Yeah, wow, that's cool that you got to experience that. And and you referenced that you know some of the the more senior guys when you were younger were toying around with breeding. Do you happen to remember what they were working with by any chance? Uh, I mean, everything back then was like, um, like skunks and like northern lights and just. I mean, I thought that the pot that we were growing back then was amazing. If we saw it today, I'd probably be like, ooh. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they were they were they were making all kinds of things. It was it was a wild time, um, and super illegal, right? Like back then, it wasn't romanticized as much as it is now. Like where nowadays in Seattle, your neighbors don't give a shit. They don't everybody is pro pot. Well, back then it wasn't that. Like it was a it was an operation. So. Uh, it was a good learning experience. I mean, I learned a lot watering those plants and listening to those guys. And a lot of those guys now are are in the industry today, in the legal industry here in uh, in Washington. So it's cool to see them have moved forward. Yeah, definitely. It's always good to see the people who sort of lay the groundwork initially getting some recognition for that. If we fast forward a little bit, when did you decide to get your first sort of grow going in terms of like it's yours, you're running it, selecting the genetics and whatnot? How did that occur? Oh, I mean, we've been growing. We've been growing since 96 at, at for different reasons and from then on. So always, I mean, I, I feel like growing is almost therapeutic for me. You know what I mean? It's like church. It's it's where I go sometimes to think. It's where I go sometimes to just get away from people. Um, and sometimes where I go to, you know, 
to have to talk with the homies or or whatever. So I don't think that I'll ever not have a grow and and growing goes back all the way before you know before two thousand for me. So uh, yeah, yeah. It holds a it holds a place in my heart, I guess. <laughs> I think I'm gonna steal that line from now on. Growing is like church for me. I like that a lot. Yeah, it is. I'm not very religious myself. Uh, I'm pretty agnostic, but uh, but they, they, there's there's some sort of religious connection from spiritual connection, I guess, for me with with growing. If if I didn't if I didn't make a dollar from it, I'd I'd still be doing it every day. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you sort of raise an interesting point when you say that, you know, even if I didn't make a dollar from it, I'd still do it. It sort of makes me think about the trajectory of someone who's looking to craft themselves out a position in the industry, maybe as a breeder, maybe as a, just a grower and having a brand. But obviously, at some point, everyone starts off where they aren't getting paid a dollar for it and they're just sort of doing it for themselves. What might be some advice you'd give to someone who wants to, you know, sort of do things in the right way and not just you know, sort of cut corners or whatever. What's your advice for a newbie breeder or brand? Well, I don't worry about the money. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't do it for the dollars, man. Cause there's other shit you could do. You can make better money, you know? Um, yeah, at least if you're doing it right. I mean, you see me, I, we don't drop a strain every day or every week. You don't hear a new strain from me every week. Yeah. That's because the shit takes time. And if you're doing it right and you're testing, you're growing everything out the proper way and you're really um, doing it the proper way. In my opinion, there's no real proper way, right? You do it however you want, but this is the way I do it. We just are able to drop a strain every, every five minutes. Like that shit takes time. So, um, and time is money, right? So, you know, don't do it for the money. You do it because you love doing it. And then that should, it'll show in your work. If you're doing it, if you're doing it because you love doing it, because you absolutely enjoy doing it, we're going to see that, you know, we're going to see that in your crosses and you, you might be surprised. We might love it too. Yeah. That's some great information. And you gave me a brilliant segue right there. And I remember in a chat I was having with James Bean last year, he was telling me that you had a release sort of scheduled to go live, but sort of as it was getting close to the date, you decided to pull the plug because you sort of weren't happy with some of the results you were seeing. And it raises the question, you know, what's it like to have to make that call, you know, and how does it feel to have done that? And what many would say is probably the honorable thing, if that's how you feel, while others in the industry you know, have sort of knowingly dropped strains that are just horrible, you know. And, I mean, the one that everyone's probably thinking of is Candy Rain from the Cookie Fam, you know. Like, they they don't give a shit about that. Like, so, what's it like to have to make that call? And how does it feel when you see that other breeders don't do that sort of thing when maybe they should? For me, it was absolutely easy. Uh, easy, easy call um, to make. Like, you know, we looked at it and we we're just like, and that was, that was the Don Mega cross. There's a bunch of crosses in that. And we're just like, you know what? Maybe with this mail, the mail that we used, which was awesome, what we thought was awesome mail, we're just seeing too much, too many problems. So in some of the, in some of the crosses. So we're like, we're going to back up. We're going to just hold back then. I mean, the money's not that important. The money's definitely not worth my reputation. And the money's not worth um, people having all kinds of issues all over the place. Like, Nah, that's not what we're about. So we just pulled back off that and then and re went and then re went at that 
um, with a different focus, you know, and then that's when that, when we made the, the line with uh, the washing in mind, we came at it with a different mail and then tested all that stuff again. And we didn't see those problems. So we're like, boom, we found it, you know? Yeah. Again, just emphasizing, you know, I, I feel like that's a very honorable thing to do, which you don't really hear a lot about. And it makes me wonder what is unacceptable. And there's this hypothetical I've been giving to guests on the show because I, I think it's an interesting sort of moral dilemma. Let's just say you've got a seed line and like half of the seeds herm, right? So a very high percentage, like 50%. But the 50% that don't herm is the most fire thing you've ever seen or created. What do you do with that line? Well, obviously you probably should work it some more, even if it's, even if it's super fire, but you know what you could, the one thing you could do is be honest about that and, and tell people like, Hey, this is what it is, you know, uh, uh, get it at, at, at your own risk, or, or you could go back to the drawing board and rework that, or you can take some of those ones that you found in there and work, work from there out. Um, there's a bunch of different things you can do rather than just drop the shit, like 50% that are, are actually herms, like intersects from the bottom to the top. Yeah. That's a, that's a problem. I mean, I, I get some guys that will say, you know, Hey, this like things herm for a bunch of different reasons, right? Like sometimes if it's just on like the lower, like you see some stuff on the lowers that could be a bunch of different things. Like one guy could get a plant and it'll pop out some nuts on the bottom and another guy can get the same plant and grow it just fine. So, you know, there's a difference between problems in your grow room and problems with your tech versus problems with the genetics. If you got a, if you, if you're testing some seed and 50% of those seeds have full blown herms, I don't give a shit what the other 50% look like. You need to probably start over. Yeah. And you raise a brilliant point there, sort of about honesty. Like, is it you just be upfront, just be honest about it? Like, this is what you're going to get. And it further segues into this discussion about do we need to test seeds even? Because we've sort of entered this new domain of breeding where you've got some breeders like Masonic, for example, where he's just open, like, I don't test my seeds straight up, don't test them. And then it makes you wonder is it better to be honest or is it better to test? Dude, that is exactly why I fuck with Masonic so strong. I love that guy. You know what I mean? I, I get people, I did a cross, um, uh, I did a collab with Masonic. Um, I used his Papaya God in, with my Don Mega in my Don Mega cross, right? And I got guys in my DM talking shit to me because I use Masonic's um, work. And I, you know, I don't even get into it with them. But here's the thing about Masonic. The guy has never lied to you. He has never, he's told you the truth from day fucking one. He told you straight up, I'm going to take everything. I'm going to cross Wilson with it. And that's what it is. And, you know, I was listening to him one time. He was like, you know, you can go buy seeds from some breeders that they do all this testing and they do all this stuff, or you can, you can get these right here, you know, that, that we made and you can get these deals on them. And I just... I don't know, man. I just support the honesty and the openness that, that he brings to the table. And furthermore, when I popped that, uh, that papaya God and I grew it out, that shit was tight straight up. That's why it made it into the line for no other reason. It was a banger. And we see pictures of people that grow out the, uh, uh, the Don magic wand all the time that, that found it to be heat. So props to Masonic. 
I agree. He's a, he's an interesting character, very polarizing. But the thing which I find most interesting is exactly what you said. There's like people like to hate on him, but it's really hard to point to anything ethically, so to speak, bad that he's done. Because as you said, it's been it's been so upfront, you know. Yeah, I mean he he's never lied to you. Like that's all I gotta say. Like hate on him if, if you don't like his personality or you don't like it, his trolling. That's you, man. But the guy in the at least in the breeding from the breeding standpoint. He's been upfront and he's been um, honest with what he's doing the entire time. So, yeah, yeah, it's funny. Likewise, I had a lot of people in my DMs and even publicly, you know, really upset we had him on the show and you know this whole get real breeders on the show. And I'm just, I always just thought he's opening a store in like Fairfax. Like he's obviously doing something right. Like, don't you feel like you've got something you could possibly learn from him? Yeah, I, I don't get it. Like I said, I, I have popped a bunch of breeders. Uh, I'm not going to out anybody or whatever, but I pop anybody in the game. That's somebody I've popped their gear and I've grown it. And I just like that. I mean, I, I, we met at, uh, at the Denver show. He was like, you know, so fire, here's all these seeds. And I was like, bro, this is so many seeds. I can't pop all these seeds. Tell me which one of these is a banger. And I will pop that pack. He's like, these ones right here. These ones are a banger. I said, tight. I'm popping these when I get home. Just like I said, when I got when I got off the plane, I got home. I put out all my different seeds because I always collect seeds. Don't think that I just I, I'm buying seeds all the time. I get seeds from everybody. So I his went in the in the in the group to get popped. And when we were going through it, I was just like, this shit is tight. Like the smell was tight, the frost was tight. Everything was like it just came together, man. And I was like, and there was a few of them, right? Like there was a couple keepers. So I was like, yeah, this is some heat period that's why i made it in the lineup no other reason and, and it shows in the like the progeny with that dawn like it crossed really well it washed awesome like yeah there's a so yeah he also referenced that one when we we're interviewing him and he said it's a banger so that's good to hear but if we take a step back and look at the mail we've spoken about it a few times the don mega it in itself was you know what i consider to be a pretty successful commercial release what was it about the Don Mega that stood out to you and how would you describe the Terps and sort of flavors it brings to crosses? Well, you know, that, that came around like it. So that's a GMO cross. So, you know, right off the bat, you're going to get those funky Terps, but it was a little bit different. It was kind of like a funky gym sock corpse plant, nasty, funky Terp. Like you got to kind of be into it. And then, um, the commercial guys like the the wreck growers really liked it because you're getting this funky terp you're getting a high thc uh test score you know the, most of the the keepers are testing around 30 30 plus and they're just weighing super heavy and they're finishing before 65 so that's kind of like a trifecta for those guys you know what i mean the guys that want to make money um, and they have like these, this like little box criteria that they need to stay in to be able to hit these numbers for their investors or just to stay open in a market that's overly taxed and overly regulated. Um, they, they love it. Yeah. So, and it washes. So, and I think, you know, that comes from the GMO and probably, um, the black banana having that blackberry cushion in the background, which is also a, a good washer. So, yeah, it just checked a lot of boxes for people commercially. I think that's why it was really popular. It's uh, if you're like a home grower, it might not be the one for you because that thing gets so tall and gnarly. Uh, 
you know, if, if ceiling height is like a, a thing for you, then, and the vigorousness of it too, it'll, it'll overshadow other shit in your garden. So uh, it'll just crowd them out. Yeah. Okay. I mean, would you have a specific cross you might recommend that has the Don Mega in it that is maybe a little more sort of indoor tameable, or would you just say stay away from the F2s because that's sort of the more vigorous, lanky one you referenced? Yeah, the F2 is super vigorous, um, but like the the Happy Hour is a great one. I mean, um, uh, the Scorpion Crew, those guys out of Spain, they've uh, won uh, they've won some competitions with that and Extract. Uh, it's got a nice strawberry with that raunchy turp. Uh, it stays a little bit shorter. You know, that's a really good one. So if I was going to do, uh, if I wanted to Don Megacross and something indoors, that's probably what I would go with. Nice. And I mean, as we wrap up on the Don Mega quickly, I'm just wondering, will we will we see it show its head again or are you just sort of always moving forwards? Um, I like to I like to move forward. Sometimes if something's like really popular and people are just like, hey, we need come on do some bring it back then you know we'll consider it but i think part of like going back to that when we're talking about exotics i think it's cool for things to go extinct right like the banana runs we're probably gonna let that run its course and be done at some you know um because then when you have that pack in your vault and we're not making it anymore it's extinct it's done um that value goes up kind of like a baseball card. And I, I think that's part of the culture with seeds. I think that is what makes it cool. Seeds are not going to be as cool if there's huge companies making so many of them. It's like, you know, celery and watermelon seeds or whatever that you can buy at Home Depot. They're never going to run out. So it's going to be the exact same. That is boring to me. So I think it's much cooler if, things become rare or or gems that you just can't find anymore yeah definitely i definitely feel that's got some value to it and before we move on too much i I did want to actually quickly ask you you referenced the happy hour the strawberry jelly that that grabbed my attention because you can find so little information on it i think it might be one of mike's strains can you give us any backstory on that one at all yeah, so the strawberry jelly actually is a is a cut. It's a cut of mimosa. It's a very unique cut of mimosa. Where if you've grown mimosa, it ha- kind of has like a citrusy um, orange smell generally, but this one did not. And um, it was given to Mike at a show uh, by a guy named Pure Melt, and uh, Mike recognized it right off the bat. He was like, "Oh, this is this might be something," because he just had the flower, you know. And then Pure Melt brought. Uh, Mike the cut and Mike gave it to me and he was like hey man grow this out I was like all right just like anything else that comes into our crew shit got to be grown out right so the number one rule comes in I grow it out I'm growing it with a bunch of different stuff you know I got I got some cap stuff in there I got I got the creme de mint from Mike in there which was kicking ass like just doing amazing um, and then I had this strawberry plant and it was wild i i remember i was like it was day 52 finished frosty as hell uh green this is a green plant it's more on the green side of everything right kind of like a little bit of pink on the under leaves but overall green um and just super like dense and frosty but what the real kicker like the what grabs you is the super fake artificial strawberry smell it's 
never smelled anything like it. And I've, I've grown strawberry cough. I've grown a bunch of different strawberry crosses all over the place. And I called him up and I was like, yo, X, what's up? He's like, what's up? I said, the strawberry plant, this is the real deal. This is it. It's awesome. And uh, yeah, he, and he grew it in his facility and boom, he made strawberries and cream, a bunch of different uh, strawberry crosses, all bangers. Like look at his red pop line with that heaters. So. Yeah, that's a that's a cool little backstory on that. I, I guess yeah, I wouldn't have expected that out of mimosa. Everything I've seen was like what you mentioned, so orange dominant. But sort of you touched on the idea of you know testing stuff, and it, we've seen a bit of a, a move in the past few years from breeders having uh, like public testers, and admittedly, you know, sometimes getting a bit frustrated because you, you you know you don't get back all the reviews and the grow reports that you're hoping to get to sort of more of an in-house testing format. How do you test things? And do you like to have out, uh, external testers or do you just keep it in-house? Uh, we just do it in-house right now. But uh, I'm thinking about, well, here's what I'll say about it. Nothing's better than you doing it yourself. Because when I test something myself, one, uh, I can talk about it to people. So if somebody... If somebody hits you up and you've used all these different testers and they hit you up on Instagram, they're like, hey, uh, how does the hody dough grow? Well, you don't know how the hody dough grows because your testers know how it grows. So that for me is problematic right off the bat. The fact that you can't talk about your own strains. Um, it, I know guys do it for whatever reasons and it just bugs me personally. So I have to be able to be able to have a long drawn out conversation about exactly how it grows, what the phenols look like that I found, how they smell, everything. I can tell you everything about my strains because I grew them before you did. Not a tester, nobody else. I grew them before I ever thought about selling them to you. So we can have whatever discussion you want to have about the plant and I can hopefully give you an informed answer. I, I should be able to because... I've seen it. Um, I mean, that said, though, I we kind of want to open up a a testing program at Soulfire. We put an application on our website um, for to take in some testers, maybe like thirty, but they have to be amazing. Like when I look at your picks, they have to be that dope that you could be accepted. So it'd be a high bar, and then those things that they test. Um, would probably, I, I'm thinking about just doing it with one line, right? And then taking these applications, picking, say, 30 testers, and then dropping a line and calling it, you know, and labeling it community tested. And maybe I'll have a different price point, like a little bit lower, because obviously I'm not doing that work, which is vital. Um, and just trying that one time, not an all the time thing, but maybe one time have this community tested line drop i think that would be cool as like an interaction thing but outside of that nah i'm testing everything myself yeah it makes sense for a variety of reasons and especially for getting you know high quality photos of the end result and that's something which i think you along with a few other people really excel at and if there's anything we've learned from our chats with james bean in the past it's the good photos sell packs so i guess i'm sort of wondering 
How much focus do you place on getting good photos and what sort of a setup do you use to get these photos? Are you using like a DSL, like a high-end sort of camera or just like good quality phone? I just use my iPhone. I use my iPhone to take the uh, the pictures. What I do, you know, I'll just go into like 4K mode or whatever and just snap a picture and and that's really it. And, you know, yeah, I have a DSL camera and I bought like this badass DSL camera and macro lenses and all this shit. But honestly, there's so many different settings on there and like different apertures and f-stops. And it's like I need to go back to college to take another course on how to use this damn camera. And then when I take the pictures with the camera, they don't come out any better than my iPhone. So eh, I just stick to the iPhone. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like good and bad at that point. Like, it's good that you can just use your iPhone, but it sucks that anyone who's got really good cameras, it, it might not be giving them that much better results. And I, I do want to touch on your days at university, but I just want to squeeze in one question first, which is sort of related to the photos. We've seen a lot of people getting a lot of photos taken down by Instagram and some people even having their pages banned. And I guess what's sort of more notable is that this is occurring even in the case where, like like yourself, your legal business operating in a legal state just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Do you think this is a problem we as a community have to sort of address somehow? And what do you think might be a solution? First of all, it sucks. And a lot of it is guy, uh, competition and guys telling on each other um, for whatever reason. And, and that part of it is, don't even get me started on that part of it is despicable. But I think until there's like some federal legislation, th- this is going to keep happening. And why is it going to keep happening? Because Instagram wants to get paid, right? I mean, let's just be real. That's what it's all about. Like they're not getting paid on cannabis guys marketing their stuff um, on Instagram. They can't sell you little ads. They can't legally help you sell seeds. So, you know, they're trying to bully us. I mean, that's basically what it is until they are able to make their money because Instagram is not free, right? I mean, we it, social media has been around long enough. Just because they let you use that app, nothing's free. Like your time, your data, uh, what you look at, them using the algorithm to track you, all that stuff is is how they get paid for that app. And it's kind of like a free ride for cannabis guys, right? They don't get any money from us. So until they do, I think we're going to be in for this, you know, the persecution. Yeah, great point. And do you think that, you know, we see the rise of alternative social media platforms focused for cannabis users. Do you think they'll take off or do you think ultimately Instagram will just change its rules and try to become profitable office? I think ultimately Instagram will change its rules and try to become profitable off of us. I've popped into some of those. I popped into burners like social club thing when it was up and instantly popped right out because there was some crazy shit on there. Um, so, you know, I commend him for trying, you know, for trying to uh, to make a different way because he was obviously sick of having his account taken down. But I think he probably wasn't really ready for how much like you have to do to have one of those apps up and and police it properly. But, um, yeah, I think we're just stuck with Instagram for now. I don't see a way out. But I will say I did pop over to Capulator's um, bean basement. So he's kind of brought back that like forums thing and uh you know i just kind of lurked through there and was reading some of the 
the grow journals and whatnot. And I thought those, you know, it was pretty cool. You know, like I read, um, uh, one of the guys that grew a banana runs, I saw banana runs on there. I was like, okay, let me check this guy's journal out. And his journal was so detailed from like, they, they do it from the pop, the start of the seed pop all the way to the end of the plant. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool. You know, not, it's obviously not Instagram where everybody's there like liking and da da da, but much more like, intimate with the the whole grow process and uh, you know if yeah if you're into that kind of thing you should pop over and check it out because i thought it was pretty cool yeah hugely i mean i guess we don't really see a lot of like dedicated grow journals and with the very nature of like the the feed that just flies by it's, it's sort of hard to do it on instagram in a sense but yeah it's cool and i mean I guess it makes me wonder you know do you think those forums will ever take off or it's more of a side thing for like the the hardcores Nah, it's a side thing for the hard course. I think here's where I think things are going to go. And I think everything's going to go to Discord. We have a we have a big Discord following um, right now. I mean, not big. I guess we got like a thousand guys or something. Um, I know Masonic has his own Discord, but yeah, uh, Discord is where it's at because we can do all those things. We're auctioning packs of seeds in there. We're auctioning, you know, things that are hard to get from myself and from other breeders. Um, and we're able to give you that one-on-one, like you can ask questions directly to me or to other um, team members. There's moderators in there making sure it's, you know, there's nobody in there saying things they shouldn't or posting things they shouldn't. And I just think like, if you're in this game right now, you should be looking to, to move your people also to discord because if your instagram goes down at least you have your community there yeah hugely everyone go go jump on the discord for sure i'm gonna have to join as well yeah you should i mean we're giving away we do huge i I stopped doing the giveaway like we do a lot of giveaways on um instagram um i stopped doing those on instagram i just do them in discord now we try to do like a giveaway every week where you just interact with the little emoji you see the giveaway there and then it it, it just randomly picks who wins and then we congratulate them and we have like you know we could see we could do the image you know we put up your images or um you can show your grows you can ask all kinds of questions if you have a plant problem you take a picture of the plant put it up guys are right there you know to assist i mean it's it's pretty awesome. So it's kind of like a mix of like almost like Instagram forums and like chat all, all together. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That, you know what, that's an interesting prediction and that's, that's cool to hear. So, I mean, let's just jump back a bit. You, you mentioned how you had your first grow going and you're growing things like TGA and whatnot. I'm wondering at that time, before you had really got the ball rolling on your own breedings, were there any specific breeders who you sort of really looked up to or who you felt you learned the ropes from? Well, I mean, obviously I, I learned a lot from, from uh, watching those TGA videos and then the homeboys from here in, in white center um, growing up. I mean, they didn't know what they were doing at all. They were just doing things just for seed. Like there was no money in it. There wasn't no reason to do it except for ourselves. And then, uh, and then just Mike, you know, like being around Mike, um, while he was taking off, like he started exotic and I went to university, um, and just being around that, uh, the entire time, like a lot of times we joke that our style of growing, I watched a lot of Kung Fu movies as like a kid. Um, and it's almost like a, a Kung Fu style, 
You know, there's a bunch of different ways to grow pot. There's a bunch of different ways to do things. And that doesn't, none of them are, are wrong per se, but in our crew, we have a specific style that we grow and yeah. And it's cool to be part of that. It's cool to, to be in a group of individuals that, you know, I mean, Mike's got his big facility now. I know he, he, he uses a trellis and shit, to, but I know he misses staking up all those fucking plants. Cause that's part of our, that's part of our, our, our style, like staking up everything. You see it in our pictures a lot. We use bamboo stakes. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think being around him, being around, I mean, he's a giant in the game. Like you can't deny him. So um, just all the things I learned from him and, and the people around us, I think really shaped it. Yeah, great answer, great answer. And you, you sort of referenced it in some prior answers, but I'd love to know a little more, you know, like you went to university and you did a Bachelor of Genetics. How do you feel like that's impacted on your growing and your breeding? Do you think it's sort of beneficial and something you might recommend others sort of look into if they're interested? Uh, yeah, so I went to the University of Washington here in Seattle. I mean, it's a it's an amazing um, public uh university is one of the best in science. Like it's number one in for uh, family medicine. So uh, it's top notch as far as, as far as universities go, in my opinion, go dogs. Um, I graduated with my bachelor's of science. I don't, I wouldn't say that it like really helped my breeding like a, a whole bunch. What it did is it, it gave me like a way to think. Um, it rounded me out for sure. Like as a, as a person, uh, I feel like being in those groups and, and working through problems and failing, <laughs> failing fucking OCAM, um, and going back and like doing it again, you know, um, it just, it, it really brings that, that resolve to the table. Like, you're not going to quit. You're going to, you're going to do this shit regardless. I mean, dude, I'm, I'm just a, a kid from the hood, man, from a, uh, broke ass part of a uh, town, you know, just raised by my, by my mom, brothers in the fucking, in the joint. And I got, I have kids too. So I wanted to show them like, Hey man, you know, I, if I can do this, you can do this. If I can pass OCHEM, you can, you can definitely pass OCHEM. If I can pass genome, you can do it. And um, I don't know. I just loved it. I love learning that stuff. I don't think that it help helps me be, uh, a better breeder, except it helps me to solve problems, not quit and just like really stick to like a protocol. Um, I guess that's what I learned in the lab. I, I worked under, I think some of the most brilliant minds um, in plant biology. Like uh, I worked in a, in a plant lab with this professor uh, Takedo, uh, this Japanese uh, guy from uh, the University of Washington, he was just so smart. Like we were doing tissue culture and like what, hopefully I can talk about this. Uh, I'm sure they already released their paper, but they were um, working on the circadian clocks of Arabidopsis and able to, to make them uh, better pollinators or get pollinated better by moths. And it was just super interesting, you know, like, like what they were doing in there. So I got to learn a lot in there. I know the lady above us was like even doing cooler stuff like she was um, genetically engineering plants to be able to have stomas on the bottoms of the leaves like add them or remove them which i mean that's i mean think about that like you can make a plant not lose water as quickly and could like you could grow maybe corn in like a much more arid 
area or desert or something and they wouldn't die. So could, I, I don't know. This is, I loved the university. I loved my time there. Uh, I'm proud of myself for, for graduating and, and sticking it out. And when people ask me like, you know, should I go there? I'm, I want to get into cannabis. Should I go there? I always say you should just go there because of the experience and, and, and what you'll learn about yourself and about how working with other people and, and, you know, how science works, you know, I loved physics too. And yeah, I just love the whole thing really. Yeah. That's so awesome to hear. I'm, I'm glad you felt like it was, it was beneficial and likewise encourage everyone, you know, get amongst it, get yourself a bachelor of science if you're into it. It sort of makes me wonder, how does it feel to have this sort of very formal scientific background and yet to be on Instagram at times and, you know, you, you look at other growers and you sometimes see some highly questionable slash maybe even pseudoscience about maybe growing or just in general, you know, do you just have to sort of ignore it at times or what's your take? Yeah, I got to bite my tongue sometimes. Like, I just, I don't like the bro science, you know what I mean? Where, because you saw something maybe happen one time in your garden, that does not make it a scientific fact. That's actually like, you know, I just, it, it irritates me, but I just leave it to what it is. I mean, we're all doing the best we can. It's, this is mostly a, a game of, of selection. It's, it's a lot of art to it. Um, you know, and the scientists really haven't got in the game yet. And I'm a little nervous for when they do. Um, so right now this is more akin to breeding dogs than it is to, you know, genetically engineering a plant to be the very best plant on the planet, which they can do. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's an art to me more than it's like this hardcore science um, where people are, people are paying for the art. People are paying for your eye, for your selection, and then for your, your work, making sure that that your, your selection and your eye comes through. So I look at these guys more or less artists than I do as scientists. So, yeah, look, you, you raised a, a brilliant discussion there in that, you know, like fundamentally, do you think that breeding is more of an art than a science in the sense that, do you think one day we'll be able to like program a computer to be like a better breeder than a human? Or do you think it'll always have a, a sort of an element of like that feeling you get when an experienced breeder like looks at a certain plant and is like, that's the one. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's art and you know, maybe a computer, maybe the CRISPR will come into play at some point, but um, not nah, right now. I think it's, I think it's completely art. Like uh, even in this last, in this Bahama mama lineup, I did a, a collab with a, a local graffiti artist um, named Creature Panic. And he, I didn't even know the guy, you know, I just, anytime I walk outside my house uh, in, in West Seattle, White Center, we got a lot of graffiti around here. Uh, I always see this like squiggly bear graffiti and it's fucking everywhere. You know what I mean? Like it's on a fence, it's on an overpass, it's up on signs, it's everywhere, right? And to the point where like when I'm driving around or when I'm with the homies or with my kids or something, I'm like, oh, there, there you go. There's another, another bear. There's another bear over there. So I tracked the guy down on Instagram. I, I found some other graffiti artists. I was like, who the hell is this? Who is this? Who is this? They finally, I finally found him. And uh, I hit him up. And I was like, hey man, you want to, you want to do some, uh, a box art collab? I was like, I really enjoy 
you're the bear that I see everywhere. You know, it kind of fucking makes me happy when I see it for whatever weird reason. And he was like, hell yeah, let's do this. So um, he did the box art and then we, we uh, have a sticker for that's in there of that bear. And, you know, if you get that strain um, uh, this month, I don't even know how many of them we sold quite a bit. I'm going to buy a, a can of spray paint for him for every box that we sell. So, and I'm going to pull up in my truck and give him this pallet of spray paint so he could fuck Seattle up. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and the reason I did that is because in that box of seeds, you get two pieces of art from Seattle. You get the soul fire art, which is in my seeds. And you get that little, that, that graffiti art from creature panic. And that's just cause I feel like, you know, it's breeding and graffiti are just two subcultures of of seattle or of of american art you know um breeding and and graffiti it's just it's just two forms of art yeah look thanks for bringing that up because i was going to ask about that so you you saved me the effort and that's really cool to hear that you're you know collaborating with other artists even in a sort of less than conventional sense and I was hoping to ask you, do you have any other of these sort of more interesting, slightly left of field collabs, like, you know, shoe collabs, like (laughs) stuff like that, or even just the more standard ones, breeder, breeder collabs? What can we expect in the future? Yeah, well, I I love doing, I love working with other breeders. Um, You know, if if it's tight, you know, I I love um, doing that and definitely going to have some more uh, collabs that are outside of the realm of cannabis. Uh, I just don't know exactly what they are yet. I mean, they, they got to fit with what we're doing and they got to have a purpose. And it, it just really worked well with creature panic because, um, you know, these guys, these graffiti guys, man, they're going out there and they hang their ass on the, on the line. Um, and they don't get anything for it. They do it for the culture, man. You know, they do it for, they do it for the love of the shit. And that's why I do what I do too. I, I do it because I love it. And so I, I recognize that and I loved his work. So I had to, I had to track him down and get down with it. So, yeah, no, that's awesome and a cool backstory. So, fill me in. When did Soulfire as a brand officially start? What was the first sort of project you did where you were like, "It's time to launch it"? Uh, that was the Black Banana. I think we were it was like two fifteen, two thousand sixteen, right there. Um, back then, we could still go to shows. So we were just doing the whole show circuit, just shaking hands, uh, you know, picked up an award out in Michigan. I love Michigan. Props to the Mitten. I love that state. I love the growers out there. Great concentrates out there too. Um, And that was it. And that's really what launched it. And it was like, just people loved the, the, the line. That's where the Don Mega came from. The the work was all very, very stable. And uh, it just kind of took off from there. You know, like I said, just talking to, absolutely everybody who who um, grew our grow strains yeah and i noticed the brand has like the slogan arise with the phoenix and it, it's cool slogan and you don't see a lot of brands with slogan what does that sort of mean to you and where did the name Soulfire itself come from um so Soulfire kind of came from uh mike and i had a, a glass shop in in uh seattle so we were selling like uh bongs and shit for a while there and uh that was the name of our our glass shop and uh, it just kind of stuck with me i I came up with it for the glass shop and then and then the slogan which wasn't part of the glass shop um it uh it just kind of the phoenix you know represents rebirth anyway and what better of an icon 
um, than that for like a seed company, right? Because every one of those seeds is potential. Every one of those seeds is rebirth. So that's where the Phoenix part of it came from. And the rise with the Phoenix is just kind of like, you know, our ethos. I mean, that's just kind of how we think like you're, you're right. We want you to rise. We want you to do well. Our whole goal is to see you crush it. Nothing makes me happier than to have somebody hop in the DM, show me their plant and be like, soul fire, look at this crazy shit. I just grew. And then I, you know, I love that shit. I, I basically live for it. So, um, and that's rising with the Phoenix, man. Every time I see that, uh, or see people happy because of um, the genetics are growing. That's, that's where that came from. I love it. Yeah, that's that's so cool to know that you had like this glass shop and that it's all sort of even further intertwined back with Mike than what at least I previously knew. Oh, dude, it was a nightmare, man. The glass shop was like in the... Uh, so, like I said, our neighborhood right here, White Center is a rough neighborhood as far as Seattle goes, right? And um, It's just a nightmare, man. Like people were fucking breaking in. We're having all these problems. Eventually, we had to shut it down, man. They just can't let you have nice shit. <laughs> but... Uh, it was a it was a fun time, definitely back in the day. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, I'm sure you were smoking lots of cool stuff back in the day. Are there any old school cuts that you have particularly fond memories of? Maybe ones you can't get access to anymore. And and if so, what's some of the ones you would love to get back? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously the flave. Like we missed that. We had a a, a grape god that smelled like. It was very similar to how that, you know, that strawberry jelly is where it had like this fake grape smell. I feel like I'm constantly searching for like a fake grape. Um, I'm, you know, I, I think I have some of uh, Bloomco's um, grape cream or something like that. I'm going to pop some of those or whatever it's grape something. I'm, I'm going to pop some of those and go through uh, some of his work because I, I see a lot of his stuff. And it looks interesting. Um that and blueberry like we used to have this blueberry cut that would it was a super it was like a bitch to root can't seem to ever get a that blueberry smell or it's just not that popular anymore right but i, I used to like it so i guess that if i had to answer yeah nice look is that does that happen to be the one that mike used a few times or he had some crosses where it was like old blueberry and that you don't really see it anymore is that maybe related yeah that is the cut like he he had a really we had a really good blueberry back in the day and i know he used it in some of his crosses like in the early works um and yeah and it's just gone i mean that's kind of like the story right like we have these sometimes amazing cuts that we wish we still had like that that flave and the grape god and yeah there's a lot of them really yeah wow that's really cool that's really cool to hear so I'm keen to chat about some of your releases that have come out, but before we do that, I want to quickly glance to the future for a moment. What's on the horizon for Soulfire? What's the next big project you're looking to sink your teeth into? Um, well, I've I've already kind of started to formulate uh, the next project, but I don't want to talk about it too much yet until we're until we're there. So, um, I think maybe that community uh, testing that community project. I think that might be something coming up where if I can iron it out, uh, I'd like to do something like that because I have so much fun testing our stuff. It would be fun to do like some sort of interactive, like where we send them out to our, our few testers and they, they run them down. But again, it, it, it wouldn't be like something that we do all the time or I, I just don't know. So um, yeah, a community test project that that would be fun. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. We got a lot of stuff coming, really. Just takes time. It takes, we just, people would say that all the time, when's your next drop? Or when when is that new stuff going to come? Our banks are like, where's the drops at, bro? And I'm just like, hey, don't don't rush it, man, because we don't do it like that, you know? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, look, if we go back, I was looking at the banana fire cookies from Relentless Genetics that you used initially to do the black banana cookies. And I was sort of curious as to what was it about those genetics that drew you to it initially and thought, you know, let, let's make a line using this. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it just, it had that banana smell to it, but it had the cookie structure and I'm just drawn to that. Like we were talking about that banana smell early and um, I was like, I like this, you know, and I, I you know, I, was, I, I loved it. And I, I hit him up and I asked permission um, to use it. You know, and he said, go ahead. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just, it just checked all the boxes. And then uh, I went through all the progeny. I grew out all the progeny before I landed on that, the, the black banana. So there was quite a bit of, um, I would say, testing and second guessing and, OCD perfectionism that tends to mire me down sometimes. Some things that may be awesome to the, some people will just get thrown out by me, like, oh, no, I don't like it. But it was actually awesome. You know, so that's just a personal problem. <laughs> yeah, look, a problem I think many of us have faced before. When you when you bred the F2s of the black banana, was there any specific traits you were looking to sort of hone in on? Um, yeah, I was trying to narrow it to try to bring that gene, the genes down a little bit and narrow it. And also, um, because I was using, you know, a strain from relentless, I didn't want to release the F ones. I still have all the F ones from that. Um, so I wanted to have it be my own, you know, a step further in my own selection. So that's why you can only get black banana F2. You, you'll never get the F1. And is that sort of like a concept do you think you'll use going forward or more just in this case, it was the appropriate thing? Uh, just in this case, because, you know, I used his work, even though he gave permission, I didn't want to just take his mail and cross it with, you know, and then release it. No, I wanted to take it the next step of, of my own selection. Sure. So, I mean, when you're looking to select a male for the next generation of breeding, are there any particular traits that you look for or think are, uh, you know, sort of synonymous with a good quality male? Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of different. I mean, I have a, a checklist of, of things I go through on a male and before it's like the one. So it's really uh, there's just a lot of different things, you know, the leaf structure, the way the plants lining up, uh, you know, I've heard some guys talk about reversing a male to see what it looks like. I've never done that personally, but I want to, I think it'd be interesting to do. Yeah. That, I think that'd be hugely cool. Wouldn't it? Um, so, I mean, it sort of gets us to this place where we normally ask the growers about what style of growing they do, but you're so very transparent on your Instagram about it. It's probably easily known by most people listening, but for the sake of it, if anyone hasn't checked out your Instagram, what style of growing do you utilize and uh, do you have any tips on, you know, how people can get the best results out of growing your strains? Uh, okay, so for me, and I, this is, you know, kind of going back to our our style, we use... Um, 
we use ProMix HP for the medium. It's kind of like an inert dirt, right? It's like a soil that doesn't really have nutrients or anything like that. It's like kind of a peat based uh, with a little bit of perlite and stuff in there. So um, I don't add it. It just comes like that. Um, so I love that medium one because it's not too water locky. It doesn't, it lets me get that water in, get the nutrients in and it just doesn't hold the, the water for too long. So it allows me to pound them, um, if I need to. So, um, I use that and then size of pot, it, it just varies depending on what I'm trying to do. Um, I like to give my plant structure with stakes. So like in my pictures, you may notice that I, I use bamboo stakes, which is, can be a bitch when we're talking about hundreds of plants, but, uh, that's how, that's how I like to do it. Um, then as far as nutrients, I use house and garden. I've used house and garden for ever. So I'm over a decade. They're amazing newts. I, I think it makes, I'll, I'll see a guy grow with something else and I'll be like, dude, why don't you just go ahead and use house and garden? Here's how I use it. And how I use it is exactly how they have on the, um, on their little feed scale. So I don't go aggressive, but, uh, I just use the house and garden. I use, uh, the aqua flakes with my, for the A and B part of it. Um, and this last run, it, uh, the guys from power SI or whatever, they sent me some and I saw the hype around it. I was like, you know, I got, I'll give it a shot. The shit was amazing. Like I didn't have to bring in those bamboo stakes till way later in the game. Um, and I, I really saw a benefit from using it. A lot of times guys will send me products. I'll give them a shot and I just don't see any change. You know what I mean? So no, I'm not going to use that. I like to use things that I see a direct change. Um, and in house with house and garden, you can, you can see that like when you hit week six and you use their shooting powder, I tell guys this all the time, you use their shooting powder. You go in your room the next day, you see a change, like a marked change. So, um, yeah, I can't say, say enough good things about house and garden. And, uh, I really like the power power SI, I think is how you say it. Um, other than that, this was my first run with LEDs. Really impressed uh, with the LEDs. I might never go back. <laughs> um, that's about it, man. That's comprehensive. And I tell you what, you've now got me wondering, is it Power SI or what would the alternative be? Like Power C? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's it's. I mean, they're using a periodic table for silica, right? So is it, do you just call it Power Silica? I don't know. But great guys. I mean... They, 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 uh, sent me, so they hit me up and they're like, Hey, you want to give us a shot? And I was like, yeah, they sent it. It took me a long time to, um, to use it. Cause I was like making seeds. So I didn't want to use it while I was making seeds because um, there's really nothing to, to show or see or whatever. So they didn't like hit me up like, Hey, are you using that stuff? Or they didn't bug me or anything. And then, uh, then I told them, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to use it for this test. So just stay tuned and we'll see, you know, we'll see how it is. Um, I know uh, my buddy, Miss Jackson Co. I, I saw him using it. I saw uh, Kush Forest over in Boston using it. And I was just like, yeah, man, let's go. Let's go for it. And I like it. I like it. Yeah, nice, nice. And I mean, a, an ongoing discussion we have on the show is organic and non-organic. Do you feel like the style of growing you use ultimately affects the end product in the way that it's sometimes made out? I know that... Uh, like I'm a diehard sort of organics guy, uh, but I also recognize that it, at like the very pinnacle 
I it, it can get hard to to see the difference though I, I I like organic I guess at the end of the day do you feel like if you grow a well-grown product it makes a difference or do you think there's like a bit of bias from people um I think there's I think it, as long as you it, as long as you have a well-grown product, I think you're good. Um, I think people bring in their own biases. If you've ever went to like a grocery store or whatever and like waited in line and like four or five different people will give you different advice on what is the best thing in the world to use. Right. So I, you know, it's to each their own. There's a bunch of different ways to get to the finish line. There's a, that doesn't make any one of them the right way or the wrong way. It's like, we're all from different, uh, we're all from different dojos. We're all from different styles, right? We all have our style. You may have the crouching tiger style. I might have the crane style. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't change it one bit. I I've smoked organic and I, I thought it was tight and I definitely like mine. So um, it could be, yeah. Everybody has their own biases, I guess. Yeah, sure. And I mean, it makes sense. Makes sense. So. If we move now on to some of your work, I mean, many of your strains are, are very interesting for a variety of reasons. I, the first one that grabbed my eye was the Gream, which you use the Little Valley OG. And I guess I was particularly interested in the Little Valley OG. I'd never heard of it before. Is there any backstory on it? And what's it sort of like on its own? Yeah, so the Little Valley OG came to me from um, my homeboy Duke over in Yakima. So Yakima is a s- small town over on the, uh, the east side of Washington. So Washington is kind of divided by this mountain range where over in Seattle on the western side, it's kind of rainy and more, I don't know, northwesty. And then on, oh, on the other side of that mountain range is more like desert and hot over there, right? So anyway, my, my, my homeboy lives over there and he's always telling me about this, this uh, OG plant they got over there. And I was like, okay. And then he, he had came over to our side for, for a night and we we're playing dominoes and shit. And, uh, I smoked some and I smelled some and I was like, oh, that is like old school, like OG, like that shit is tight. Go ahead and bring me three of those things. I need to grow them out. Duke, my homeboy's name is Duke. He's like, okay, I got you. I got you. So he brings them over. I grow them out and it's like, it's got that structure, that stick and ball OG structure. And then that just that smell. And I was like, this is gas. Like, this is real gas. And they didn't really know what it was. You know, they don't, they just know it was like the OG that they love. So we just called it little Valley OG. Cause it didn't really have a name. And they're from a little Valley over there in, uh, in Yakima. Um, so shout out to the 509 and in, in Yakima and Duke and, and to the little Valley OG, which is one of the gassiest strains I've probably ever come across. Nice. I like that. I mean, there's, I think everyone has a few OGs that they've tried throughout history and they're like, if only I knew which one that was. Right. Like they're so like, they're mysterious, but like these guys over there in that area, they like that flavor profile um, much more than like fruit and shit. Like I saw, I got them some packs of like uh, trap, trap cookies maybe back in the day. And they're like, yeah, we don't like this shit. It smells like perfume. Like where's the OG at? You know? <laughs> Just old, old school gangsters and shit. They don't want that. Shit. They want that. They want that fucking gas. Yeah. Okay. Well, musty mojito. That's another interesting strain where you use the grim bastard OG as the male in it. And I, I guess you know, seeing as we're sort of discussing it, where does OG fit in the arsenal for you? You know, like, are you a big fan of the gas, and do you like to breed with OG? 
Um, I do. I mean, I am a fan of the gas. I, I think we're kind of, it's kind of getting harder to find as we get all these poly hybrids and especially with like this, like everything crossed with gelato, which I don't know if anybody's tired of it. I'm kind of, I try to limit it. You know, like if you look at this line, there's not a whole lot of that. Uh, whenever we, whenever we sit down to create a lineup, we try to make it diverse, you know, like if you look at any of them, there'll be a little bit of gas. We'll maybe try to slip a lemon in there. We'll try to slip some different fruits in there. We try to make the menu diverse because who wants to sit down at a restaurant and there's just nothing but meatloaf. <laughs> like, okay. Like meatloaf's good one day, but not all the days. So, or maybe no days, depending if you don't like meatloaf. Um, so I like to keep that menu diverse. Maybe there'll be a gas, maybe there'll be a, you know, a gelato, but not the whole damn thing. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of the direction, something for everybody, you know? Yeah, sure. And another strain I wanted to flag was you've worked with the Northern Fire Cookies, which one that comes from a a buddy of the show, the Northern Fire, shout out to him. What is it about this cut that you like and how would you describe some of the hybrids you've made with it? Like the, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but is it the NF Sheesh? Well, you got to, you got to say it right. It's NF Sheesh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The NF Sheesh came out awesome like that thing is so frosty and that's why i love using um the north fire's cut uh shout out to north fire man he's a he's a great grower and you know we appreciate him letting us use that strain so um yeah it's just a banger man like it has beautiful structure it washes very well um it's it's got a good smell on it and it breeds well like you know caps i think cap did was that the el norte with it um we've done a couple with it it's and it really i think with the bahama together i mean dude it's so frosty like if you look at some of those pictures it is crazy so yeah it came out well yeah nice i might just try to bang off some of the ones that i was personally curious so we'll just get them all done in one segment but the the mando was another interesting cross because it used a mother called yoda and you had me wondering is that related to the the baby yoda we see from compound genetics and if not what is it yeah so that's another one like that we just don't know um so it's an unknown like that got slipped out of a out of a warehouse or out of a wreck in 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 la i can't really say a bunch about you know where it came from uh per se but no he just was like hey that grow this out it's it's gassy you know super gassy you gotta grow this out so i got it back to seattle I uh, I grew it out because he doesn't know shit and I'm definitely not. It, it, it's just in the pool of things until it makes the cut to even go to the next phase. Um, it's nothing. So, and when I grew it out, I was like, oh yeah, this is tight. You know, like this is gas. It, I love the frost on it. I love the structure of it. Um, it kind of had like this almost like, oh, the Mando crosses had like this gray blue tint to them which i found like really cool i didn't see a bunch of those in the phenos but i did see a couple that were like this blue gray color with like heavy frost and like a gassy nose so i mean that's what got it in to the to the lineup and like the other phenos were tight too so yeah it was tight um but as far as like the background lineage there's so many different yoda cuts there's like a yoda og there's 
over the years there's so many of them so who knows yeah it can get like a bit of a myriad like that at times i guess yeah like i think it might even be one of the most recent posts on your instagram but the biddies it looks phenomenal like these super swollen hand grenade type buds just gorgeous rich purple hues do you find that the purple lines like this sell well or do you feel like that somewhat prevalent myth around purple strains not being super potent sort of cancels out any increase in terms of like sales or interests no i think they they go well people people like that color pop you know what i mean and that biddies that is comes in a bunch of different colors so like i had that's a great strain because you get so much selection in that you got mike's selected cut of the jigglers which is already fucking awesome and then you get this selection of bahama reversed onto it and now we're getting you know crazy phenos so yeah the one with like that hand grenade hand grenade size <laughs> nug you're exactly right like it's that big it fills the the palm of your hand so it was super heavy had a a great you know more gelato side nose on that one um and like the leaf ratio there's like no leaves on that like that's there's like no trimming to that and yeah i mean that's i kept I, I definitely kept that keeper cut to work with down the down the line but um some of the other phenos that were in there had different uh, almost like gassy kind of weird smells to them and um there was even a, like a grape one like a it was ugly like it, it was one of the tester ones that it just didn't have the right leaves to it to be a keeper so i didn't keep it but the smell was crazy um it smelled like grapes uh but yeah like there was quite a few cool jigglers some of them look awesome i loved it. Uh, i think it's one of my favorites miami uh mommy too is one of my heavy favorites i, I really loved everything in the lineup yeah, look, strong sales pitch, and I got to admit, the the biddies was one that I was looking at myself, thinking this might be the one I'd pick. It makes me wonder. I, I like the name biddies. I think it's cool, and and I always think, how important is a strain name? Do you think it's sort of only really matters if the strain isn't good? Like if the strain's good enough, it doesn't really matter what the strain name is, or do you think it really actually makes a difference? I think it does to an extent. I mean. I named that Biddies because if you know my boy Mike, he came up with some of the most outlandish, sometimes borderline offensive names <laughs> ever. So I, I figured, like, okay, if I'm gonna, you know, it's a it's an exotic Soulfire collab. It's got to have a name that that <laughs> that would be proper. So I went with Biddies, but um, yeah, I think the names do matter a, a little bit. People want some creativity in the names people want you to take some time and figure it out. And it's not easy with like absolutely everything. You got to make sure that nobody has the shit or it causes a dust up. So yeah, names are important. And I guess as a little follow up to that, do you tend to name strains before you've grown them out or do you like to grow them out and sort of use that experience as some inspiration for the name? Yeah, I got to grow them out first. 
Yeah, I, I just the reason why I ask is because I find it interesting. You, you sort of see it more commonly these days where people put a post up being like, hey, the name Biddies is now taken and it's like they've just dusted the female with pollen and it's sort of like, don't you want to grow it out first? Or like, I guess Biddies is a bad example but people are like, you know, orange lemonade cookie and it's like, don't you want to make sure that's actually like the flavor in there? Like, what if what if you don't find it? Right. Yeah, I mean, how do you how do you name something before you've seen what it is? Because it could be completely different from what you may think. So yeah, you got to grow it out because, and honestly, it's going to help you name your plant much better. Like you're going to see something in there that maybe triggers like a a name that like has a distinguishing characteristic for that plant. So yeah, grow your plants out before you name them. In my opinion. Yeah, I get yeah, I feel yeah, I feel yeah. But I mean, a lot of a lot of people just don't grow their shit out. So, <laughs> they, you know, it is what it is. That's it, isn't it? So, one of the final strains I wanted to grill you about was the baby cakes. It looks great. And I love that you, the description, you know, you're sort of talking about how it's, it's a very consistent cookie type phenos. But something which I was also curious about was how did you get that cake mix clone? Like, I swear that's got to be one of the most locked down cookie fam clones there is. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, they're not that locked down because they just be sliding around, and we have a really good circle of, of friends that that get these get these things. So, um, yeah, they might not be as locked down as you think. <laughs> there you go. I mean, like I think people always uh, talk about envy genetics in that regard. You know, it's like how did he get? But I guess yeah, it just sort of speaks to the crew you've got. Yeah, definitely. I mean, envy's right there in the mix. He's down in LA. He's got. You know, he's got a, a good network of people, so he's able to uh, he's able to find find things that other people uh, might not be able to. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, as just someone who has a very, you know, soft spot for sativas, I'm wondering, do you have a plan to do any work with some, like, you know, strongly sativa-type work, or is you just more into the indicary sort of hybrids? Um, I definitely am open to it, man. I, I want to, uh, I was just talking about this the other day. I want to grow a sativa plant. It's almost like people always ask like, is this sativa dominant or is this indica dominant? And it's almost to the point where like that nomenclature is kind of dead, you know, where we call things sativa or indica. Everything is so hybridized now it's almost hard to like find a true sativa um i guess unless you're ordering seeds from like the uk so in general which of your strains do you think is sort of one that's most sort of slept on by the public like sort of like that secret dark horse that you think's a real winner but maybe just needs a bit more time before it catches on um i think our mind flare is you know it, it, it came out in the white jelly uh, lineup and it was just I thought it was amazing um, it just all these different flavor profiles were in there and then we just used it again um, we used our keeper uh, in with the Bahama Mama and that's what made the Miami Mommy and it just crushed in there like there were so many keepers I was throwing them away like I just can't keep them all you know so I think when people dig into the Miami mommy and see what that's all about. And when you get these kind of like chocolatey, really rich pheno, like smelling phenos and like this frost that it's putting off, 
um, and the the colorways that they have, I think that you know it's going to really open their eyes to the mind flare and the the selections that we've done over time with it. Yeah, well, heck, maybe we can change that. And I mean, sort of in a similar light, what do you think is the most consistent line in terms of plants produced, like what the plants produce? And the reason why I ask this is because we've got a lot of listeners who grow outdoors and for them, they ideally want to be able to, you know, like harvest a bunch of plants and it just all goes in the same bag. So like consistency for some people is quite important. Which line do you think gives pretty consistent results? Right. So you're talking about like phenotypic consistency across across yeah. all the crosses. Sure. Um, I mean, you're going to see a lot of that in this Bahama line because the Bahama was so dominant in like and like passing on that color, frost, and structure. Um, you're going to see a lot of uh, phenotypic similarities in this lineup. Um, if I would say not in the um, in the black banana lineup because everything was vastly different in that one um yeah and probably could see some of that in the in the yu jelly because the yu jelly kind of did that as well like where it it brought those similarities but yeah definitely the bahama line you're gonna there was a, it was a strong strong presence of bahama in there yeah nice nice so what genetics in general excite you, you know, like what are you sort of excited to hunt next? And, and if you were to sort of pop some other seeds from someone else, how many seeds do you like to pop to get an idea of what's going on with that line? For me, I'll just grab like interesting packs. So if I can't find something tight in just one pack of your seeds, I'm probably not fucking with you. So like I said, I'm going to pop this Bloomco, um, pop some of his stuff. So, uh, that of course mike's creations i'm always popping shit out of his stuff uh, mostly because i can just hit him up and get him <laughs> like <laughs> what's up bro those are looking tight what's up with them strawberry gary's bro i need i need my fix so um yeah uh so any of any of the exotic stuff is tight uh like i said bloom co um uh relentless always has great work you know you can really see that he puts in a lot of time in his stuff uh i might pa- i might pop a, a pack of masonics um, stuff because i had such great results with uh, what i got from him last time um who else i want to pop some dead pan head i think his name is i want to pop some of his stuff i think i have some of his peach stuff uh i might be popping some of the wave genetics. I think I got their, what their peach rings, I think it's called. Uh, I really want to find this peach terp that people are talking about. So uh, I'm going to hunt a bunch of peach flavored stuff. See what I can find. I'm looking for peaches and grapes kind of. Um, so we'll see what I can find. I, I enjoy popping other people's work and, and seeing what, what cool shit. It's fun for me. Yeah, for sure. I definitely can get down with that sentiment. So, the Lumpy Space Princess, that's uh, that's a cool strain, both because it's a great reference to Adventure Time as well as, um, you know, it looks phenomenal. When you look at the plants, it's both been bred with and it on itself. Do you find that, like, you name strains with references? Like, also, there's the Grim Bastard OG, which is a phenomenal reference to Trailer Park Boys. Um, 
do you name these because these strains remind you of that reference in some way or it's just special to you and like what sort of makes you think oh you know i'm going to give this like a cool name that's a reference to a show or to a game or something like that um both so uh that thing looked like lumpy space princess so i went like like what we were talking about you got to grow them out once i grew them out i was like i'm slumping on these lumps right here because that thing looks like lumpy space princess um so yeah i i i i like the lsp i think i you know that might be something that we revisit at some point because people just absolutely love that that cross like the pink hues that it it comes with and the and that that musky lemon flavor that you can actually taste they they like that strain like those things have been sold out for a while but um yeah i like to i like to reference pop culture um i play a ton of uh i'm a i'm a gamer myself i play a ton of video games with my kids um we even run a uh grand theft auto uh server like a where people come in and play like Grand Theft Auto online. It's kind of wild. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we just, we're, we're pop culture fanatics, I guess. <laughs> That's cool. You got your own GTA server. Oh yeah. We love it, man. I, I <laughs> yeah, it's like a RP server. So you get in there and you, you know, you role play whatever you're playing and people like really get into it. So uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. There you go, a whole new world for both me and the listeners to go and explore a bit more. Yeah, I think we're gonna. I was thinking about doing like a seed drop in the in the in the GTA uh, server. So, you know, you would just get in and do something maybe to get uh, a specific pack of seeds that you can only get by hopping in and and hopping into Five M and and uh, coming into the uh, the city. So, might be something in the future to look out for. Now that's the next level drop. <laughs> that's right. So I noticed amongst the various strains you've made, you, you've worked with a few different cookie cuts or sort of cookie related strains, like, you know, from just straight cookies to the Northern Fire cookies to even things like biscotti, stuff like that. Which of the cookie cuts are your preferred ones if you had to pick, say, one or two? And do you like to breed with cookies, generally speaking? Uh, I do because... I like the structure of cookies. I like the smell of cookies. I think that um, the creation of cookies really was a, a turning point in in breeding and in cannabis culture. You know, and wh- however you feel about the cookies machine and brand and burner and all that, put that shit to the side, and you really just can't take away from these guys what they you know what that what that plant has done. Um, at least breeding wise for sure. So yeah, I like it. I, uh, right now I like the, the, the North fire cookies. I used to have a, a cut of cookies and cream that I thought was the best one, um, to me far better than the 13, um, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do, I do enjoy breeding with cookies. I think it's, I think it adds, some characteristics to the progeny that can only be found in the, in those plants. So uh, I, I don't try to over add too much of it to the lineup. Like I said, I like to have a, a little something for everyone. Um, I guess I'm missing, missing that mark by not having enough sativa and maybe we'll fix that in the future. Uh, but yeah, it's a good one to add. 
Your fire cookies right now is the one. Yeah, love it. Good answer. So on the final question before we do our quick fire questions at the end, I noticed that you'd had some nice write-ups in High Times. And I feel like in the past, High Times played a huge role in our scene and in promotion and awareness. But as Instagram and other social media platforms have taken off, it feels like it's faded a little bit. Did you feel like you got a bump out of those write-ups and those features or do you feel like they are sort of fading a bit into obscurity? Um, I think I, I mean, maybe we did. I didn't pay too much attention to them. I feel like High Times is kind of, it used to be like this like flagship for our industry. It used to be like oh, High Times, you know, and maybe it's because of the COVID and, and the shows are gone or the shows have been so fucked up with like the regulation like you can't even enter any of these damn shows anymore without being licensed in that state and it's just turned a bunch of bullshit so i'm just disappointed in in high times in that aspect like it used to be the one thing that we all used to come together to do to go to these competitions and they've really just turned it into like an advertisement for whatever local recreational breeders are going to line their pockets. And that's unfortunate. Like they've really, I don't know if it's the new owners or what's going on over there, but I think the general sentiment from like most of the heads in the industry is just like, they're pretty irrelevant at this point and they need to come back to like what started them. And I don't know. So if we got a bump from it, I I don't know, but I miss the old high times, to be honest. When you say that, do you sort of mean like before it was like pay to play? Um, yeah, like... Well, oh, sorry, I should clarify. Obviously, it's not all pay-to-play because I, I can bet my left leg you didn't pay for their article, but like that's one of the criticisms which gets leveled against them at times, I guess. Yeah, well, it, it's... I, I don't know, man. People used to like, I, I know when Mike and, and, Q, and Cuban were winning all of their, um, just on that run, like winning all their, their trophies and whatever, those guys weren't paying to win that stuff. Like I, you know, I'm right there in the circle. It's, those dudes didn't pay that shit. They just had fire and they were winning, you know? So like, I hear so many times like, oh, like if you won a cup, that's because you paid or that's because you did that. That's bullshit. Like that, that's. absolutely not true those guys won that shit fair and square um but now yeah i think it's like i don't know they're just i think maybe high i don't know their financials but maybe high times is upside down they need to make some money they they can make all that money by showing by making having some awesome shows uh once maybe covid gets up off of our ass yeah that's some really valid points you know i definitely have heard that criticism raised uh, before about the purchasing of the cups. And I think like what you said is really valid, you know, people like Exotic Mike and various others clearly not paying to win, clearly got the fire. I think some of the frustration is more like when you see strain write-ups in the magazine and it's like, we're doing a write-up this week on Crop King's Blueberry and you're like, oh, come (laughs) on. (laughs) Yeah. I think, yeah. But anyway, so, I mean, bringing us to sort of our, our quick-fire questions that we love to ask all guests at the end, uh, the first one I wanted to ask you is, what is the best or most memorable single weed experience you've had? So, it might be like smoking a certain flower, smoking a certain hash, or just whatever. What stands out the most to you? 
uh, lemon tree. Yeah, I don't know why, but uh, uh, one of the just uh, when Mike and I smoked uh, lemon tree at the, I think it was the Emerald Cup or something. We just were like just loved the flavor so damn much. We had to get a get a cut for ourselves. So I I, re- I remember that. Yeah, nice. It's a really it's a really interesting flavor, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of a kind, actually. Like the it's the aftertaste, man. Like that it stays on your palate. And that's like what we're looking for when it comes to flavors. Like the weed could be pretty, the weed could be this or that, but if it leaves that aftertaste in your mouth like that lemon tree does, uh yeah, that's memorable. So that's that's definitely one of the most memorable. Yeah, brilliant answer, and I can I can understand why you'd say that. So on the other end of the spectrum, though, was there ever a situation where people around you or people who you sort of generally trust the opinion of are like hyping a strain up, and then you finally taste it, and you're like, oh, is that it? Hmm. Yeah. I know there is. I just don't know it off the top of my head. Um one that we're just like, oh, that's not that tight. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Not for me personally. I can't think of one off the top of my head. It's almost a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. There you go. The people around you are only suggesting and hyping up the good stuff. That's good to hear. So let's do a bit of a hypothetical. You know, I'm going to drop you off on a remote desert island with just three strains and you can theoretically grow them for the rest of time. What three are you taking with you? They can either be clones or seeds, whatever you want, but just three. Just three? Uh, GMO. I'll probably take... Uh my cut of banana runs and i only get one more let's see we got some funk we got some uh you say i'm on the island yeah i gotta bring the bahama mama it's an island (laughs) good cross good cross okay cool so now there's a chance to be a little bit devilish here. Let's let's say the, the roles are reversed and instead of you being dropped off, we're going to drop someone else off and let's just say that you're not a big fan of this person. You get to pick what three strains you're going to drop them off with. What are you going to leave them with? <laughs> I'm going to leave them with uh, a CBD strain. Um, I'm going to leave... So I'll, I'll leave them with some, some CBD. I will... Not a big fan of this person, right? Okay. Um, what other strains is it? Not that great right now. Um, what junk would I leave somebody with? I probably still give them GMO, even though I don't like them because we know it's going to take them twelve weeks to finish it. So that's just <laughs> going to be frustrating either way. <laughs> and then uh, I'll probably leave them with. So he's got some CBD. He's got some GMO, and. Maybe I'll leave him with some some apple fritter. Ooh, you're not a fan of it? Uh, no, not that I'm not a fan of it, but um, yeah, I'll just leave him with, I, <laughs> yeah, leave him with some fritter. It seems like what everybody wants to grow, so he can grow that. <laughs> yeah, no, look, we've, we've heard a, a lot of blue dreams in the past, so I guess it's sort of like that. <laughs> Oh, I mean, hey, dude, there's a time that Blue Dream was awesome. I don't know what the, why people hate on that shit. <laughs> That's it, right? <laughs> That's it. Okay, so final question. If you could go back in time to any place, anywhere in history, and just collect some seeds or a clone if you wanted, 
Where would you go? What time? And what are you collecting? Um, ooh, I don't know because if you go too far back in time, it's going to be some boof. So I would probably go back. I would probably go back to uh, when I was a little kid and my, my uncle was, was growing and I probably snatched, snatched some of uh, his clones from, from the uh, garage that I, that I would walk into and I was a little tiny kid blind myself. Yeah. I'd probably grab some of whatever he was growing. He's a, he's an old hippie from, uh, from Humboldt, from Arcata. So I'd probably grab some of his strains. Yeah. Nice. I'm sure there's probably some cool gems lurking in the vault from him. I think that just about brings us to the end of things. Was there any comments or shout outs you wanted to make? Uh, no, just shout outs to all the homies, man. And, uh, you know, shout out to uh, James for, you know, Seeds Here Now. It's a great, great uh, spot to grab grab beans from. He's, I was really uh, proud when we got put on to Seeds Here Now back in the day. Like, that was a really big, big move. He's one of the first banks that ever really uh, took a shot with us. So, appreciate him for that. So, shout out to James Bean on that one. Yeah, likewise, you know, shout out James Bean. We appreciate you being a sponsor. And also, you referenced earlier one of our other sponsors, Promix. You know, you use their medium. Shout out Promix. Oh, I didn't know they were one of your sponsors. Yeah, they're great. Um, shout out ProMix. It'd be awesome if you could get it to Seattle more because we we have <laughs> ProMix like desert sometime where you just can't get it. So I got to like stock up on it. It's crazy. Yeah, there you go. Are they Canadian? They're Canadian, right? Yeah, they are. But I think they're sort of more um, the other side of Washington, unfortunately, like the, uh, what is it? The Quebec side. Yeah, let them know, man. Sometimes I stress out because if I don't have the Promix, then I got to get something else, and I hate using anything other than Promix. Yeah, good call. Well, with that being said, we've been very grateful to have you on. So, again, thank you so much, Sol of Soulfire Genetics, for coming on, giving us the lowdown on all your strains and a bit of history and predictions for the future. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. there you have it gang huge shout out to soul soul five genetics for coming by talking all that science history breeding so much more we're very appreciative likewise hugely appreciative of our sponsors seeds here now best seed bank in the game they got soul fire go grab it likewise copper biological systems thank you so much for everything you do without your amazing predatory bugs our gardens would be so much harder to keep clean. Check out the Afipar M or the Spidex Vital, two absolute killer products that will help your garden to be successful. Shout out to ProMix for their ProMix Connect, best mycorrhizal product in the game. Increase yields, resins, cannabinoids, terpenes, whatever you're after, it's probably going to increase it. Check it out, guys. ProMix Connect. Charlie's Cannabis, number one spot in Oklahoma. If you need fire of any sort, they got your back. Remember, Charlie's your bud. Big shout out, Charlie's Cannabis. Last but not least, thank you to the Patreon gang. We love you. Without you, the show really couldn't happen. If you want access to episodes early, additional interviews, unheard content, giveaways, and more, check out the Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. I'll see you for the next one, gang.
Hasıya. Hasıya.